he's done. Lord, we gather here this morning for that very thing. That, the re- that every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday for those that are believers in Jesus Christ. But on this Sunday, we gather especially to just proclaim the truth that all of the promises of God find their yes in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we gather to declare your praise and to proclaim your promises to our own souls that we might go out into a world and share you with others. For the glory and the fame of your name and all God's people said, amen. Please have a seat. that going for just a few minutes and just offer up an opportunity. Normally what we would be doing right now is having our time from 10 to 10.30-ish of just time of prayer. And so I want to um, honor that a little bit and, and give people, if you just have a, if you would like to just share a short prayer of praise to him on this Resurrection Sunday, if you feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you into a, a, a praise to who he is and what he's done um, for you, for the world, I would ask you just raise your hand. I'll bring you the mic. And um, I'd be happy to let you uh, pray over God's people. Anyone. Again, this is sort of spontaneous, so I didn't ask anybody to prepare. I just wanted to thank God today for the people who are here that may be new uh, or visiting just for today. And I ask, Father, that you would touch their heart, uh, that we would be the seed planter, and that they would commit their lives to you. We love you, Lord. Amen. Anyone else? Jesus, you have risen and you have given us the Holy Spirit. What more could we ask for? So, so, so grateful. And everything in Jesus. Heavenly Father, I praise you. Seeing two absolute miracles this week. The simplicity of the gospel, opening the eyes of the blind, and and uh, bringing people to a, a realization of who you are. The you are the God who became flesh and died for us and rose from the grave. That that those who would have faith in you, a gift from you, would have eternal life. And that that good news, that gospel, is what saves. The simplicity of that. And I just praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Adam. That is why we gather for the gospel. So, anyone else? Oh, I didn't know you wanted. I thought you were just coming to steal the mic from me. Um, let's just pray. Father, I love you, Lord. And I just, you've reinforced this in. in this past week, Lord, just how much I love this family of believers that you provided, Lord. I thank you for them, Lord. Lord, I thank you to be surrounded by people who just love you, Lord, want to serve you, and just want to bring you glory, Lord. So I thank you for them. I thank you for the price you paid on the cross. I just love you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Sean. That, that was awesome. Um, just by way of an aside, as we get ready to open up God's Word, I just want to let you know it is much cooler in the front of the room than it is in the back. And there are actually some seats up here. If there's like three over here and three over there. So if you're sweating it out in the back and you would like to come up to the front, I just want to let you know that. Um, but with that, if you would open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We are 
kind of embrace the mess because it reminds us that we need him. So um, Luke chapter 24. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 13 of Luke 24. This is not the passage I'll be teaching from this morning, but it's just what the Lord led me to, um, to share, to start our time together. And then I'll pray for the anointing of his word on our hearts, and we will keep going. So it says this in, Acts, or in Luke 24 and verse 13. This is, this is during, this is the day of the resurrection. So this is on Resurrection Sunday. It says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus and about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were walking, they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew up near to them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation you guys are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? (laughs) Kind of ironic, right? Since they're talking to the one that was in the ground until that morning. And he said to them, what things? And they said, concerning the Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how all the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one that would redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since this happened. Moreover, some women were in the company were, that are in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and when they did not find the body, they came to tell us that they had seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But with him we did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the scriptures of these things concerning himself. So, Father, as we continue to worship you in the word this morning, I do pray that your Holy Spirit would do exactly what only your Holy Spirit can do, that it would take your word and apply it to your people, that it would conform us into the image of your Son. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that that every heart here would be open to what you have to say, whether it's because they've heard about the resurrection for for the 50th time or for the first time, that it would be a new time for them because we should never tire of hearing the truth that is the heartbeat of your love for us. And that is you came to live and die and rise again and ascend and you will return to restore all things to your glory. Lord, until that day comes, may we just be found walking and talking with our eyes wide open to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So we are finishing up this series called Let This Cup Pass learning to lament in light of the gospel. And you might be saying, wait a second, we're here for Resurrection Sunday. That's a celebration. What's this lament thing? And I would say that's exactly what Resurrection Sunday is about. It's because it's without Resurrection Sunday, we lament just like the world does. The key to the series that we've been in is that we are lamenting in light of the truth of the gospel. And so that's why we gather here today. The key to victory, guys, the key to living the victorious Christian life, the key to walking out his best life now for you 
His best life now for you is for you to keep your eyes fixed on Him. It's to keep looking up. It's what he says in Luke, 20, in Luke 21, 28, when he says to them, when all these bad things are starting to happen in the world and in your life, look up, because your redemption draws near. It is a change of perspective, not a change of our circumstances that, are, that, that, that makes us who we are to be in Christ. So with that, turn to our passage today, and which is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you did not know that. And we're going to take a look at a, at a powerful resurrection passage. And we're going to see how Paul encourages us to celebrate not just the resurrection, but to celebrate our sure salvation in his resurrection. And we're going to ask the question, the big idea for today is, so why is the resurrection the heart of the gospel message? Like, why is the resurrection the heart of the gospel? And the answer is because the gospel is about Jesus Christ, the gospel is about fulfilled promises, and the gospel is about death to life. And that is the story of the resurrection. So with that, we're going to jump into our first point and that answers the question, why is the resurrection the heartbeat of the gospel? And we're going to look at how the gospel story is all about Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 15 and verse 1. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you have been saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, like the number one thing about our faith is this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. He's just, he's just like, like putting it in their face. Guys, this was not some made-up story because the number of people who, are, who were currently alive that were proclaiming that Christ, they had seen the risen Lord. This was not like a story they had heard. These were first-hand witnesses, is what Paul is saying. Uh, lots of them, like 500 of them. Some of them have died, but most of them are still alive if you want to go ask them. Verse 7, then he appears to James, his brother, then to all of the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appears also to me, for I am the least of the apostles. And you want to go, man, really, Paul? Like you wrote a third or more of the New Testament. I am a least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. But here's why. Because I persecuted the church of God. He puts that last line in there, guys, to say, guys, I want you to know the story that I preached to you, the gospel story that, that you've heard from me and others, is not about me. He's like, the story has always ever been about Christ. But that's because this whole story is about Christ. All of it, guys. From beginning to end, it is a story of redeeming love. But, but why? Like, how did we get to this place on a Resurrection Sunday? Well, the answer is that in God and all of his omniscience and omnipresence and omnipotence, he, they're up there, the triune Godhead in eternity past, not because they had to, but because they wanted to, they spoke creation into existence. Why? Because they're creative. They are, he is a creative God. So he speaks creation into existence and he places a tree in the garden. And here's the thing, guys. He did not. This is part of what we don't understand the resurrection unless we understand the beginning, the need for the resurrection. He placed the tree in the garden, not because he wanted to see if we would be obedient. 
Guys, we, we have got to get our minds around that because the world doesn't understand. Wait a minute, what, how did, what, if you guys believe in this whole garden thing, well, that makes no sense to us. Well, of course it makes no sense to the world, for one thing. And for another thing, guys, we don't teach it well. We say, well, God just wanted to, wanted to see, wanted to let us choose obedience. He knew we weren't going to be obedient. He knew it when he put the tree there. So why did he put the tree there? Because he wanted to show something about himself that he could only show when we chose poorly, when we rebel. It is his grace and mercy, his unrelenting love. Guys, and that's the rest of the story. Because you guys know, most of you, that they, take the, they, they rebel, they take, the, they take the fruit they were told not to eat of, and that sin has spread to all of us. But guys, don't kid yourself into thinking, well, that wasn't really my fault. You're just as big or more of a rebel than Adam and Eve were. Right? But God doesn't stop there. From the minute they take a bite, he starts pursuing them. He's the one that kills the animal to cover their sin. Right? And then after the, the, the world populates and sin just grows, and so to show us that there's only one way to salvation, what does he do? He floods the world and he saves his people, Noah and his family, through the one way that there was to be saved, and that was through the ark. So the flood happens, and then, and then everything, and then you think, okay, well, that's going to fix the problem, and God knew it wouldn't. And sure enough, they get out of the boat and immediately start sinning again. And then God starts to show us something else about his story about Jesus. He's saying, not only is my story about redeeming grace, but it's always going to come through people. It's going to be proclaimed through, specifically through a person, my son Jesus Christ, by my people. So he reaches down, or he, he comes down in, in Genesis chapter 12, and he looks at Abraham, and he says, Abraham, you're mine. There's nothing special about you, brother, other than that I just called you mine. And then he says, and from you, from you, Abraham, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. All of them. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has Joseph. Joseph saves the family of God from starvation. But by, he goes to Egypt. He saves the family of God that was dying in a drought. They go into Egypt as 30, God, or as 70 people. God incubates them for, oh, let's say 400 years. And then leads them out through Moses. And he leads them out to a dead end. God led them to the Red Sea, right, where they were stuck between the enemy and their only way of escape. And what does God do? He parts the water. He makes the way. He destroys the enemy, just like he's doing now. And then they finally enter into the promised land through Joshua, and, and they set up, the, they set up their, the kingdom, except they don't have a king. And this is what we're reading about in our D group readings right now. Just like everybody else, they start, instead of saying God is our king, they start crying out for an earthly king. So they pick Saul because he looks the part. He's big and tall. He's also got some serious issues, right? And so he is not a good king. God picks David, a man after God's own heart. Why? Because although David had his issues too, he was a man after God's own heart because God's heart, the, the one time Christ describes his own heart, he says, I am gentle and humble of heart. And although David was a mighty warrior, he showed himself to be gentle and humble again and again and again. So through that lineage of David, we, get, we, get, we, we walk through this time of the prophets, and we get like Isaiah and Jeremiah. We also walk through this time where God starts to raise up because God's people, the kingdom is divided, the people, God's people keep rejecting him, they keep worshiping false gods, they get busy about their own lives. And so what happens? He, he causes, he raises up these superpowers, Assyria and then Babylon and then Persia, to wipe out his people piece by piece, always leaving a remnant. 
And then, all, and then, and then he's silent for about 400 years. He'll, God's people return to Jerusalem by God's decree, but they don't know how to worship anymore. And that's when Jesus enters the stage. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. But the story doesn't end there. Right, the story we, we know, we just walked through, we're walking through today the resurrection season. Jesus came to live a perfect life, that he might die our death, that we might live his life. But then it doesn't even end there. He then rises again and defeats death to prove, and we'll see it in a minute in our passage, to prove that, that death once for all has been paid, right? And, and, this, and the, price was, the price was sufficient because he rose. And then he, and then he ascends sends his spirit and establishes the church. Now, what does all that mean for us sitting here today? Guys, we are God's people. If you're in Christ, you are God's people, just like the time of Noah, just like the time of Abraham, just like the time of Joshua, just like the time of David, just on and on and on. We are God's people left as a remnant to tell God's story. Because it's a great story of pursuing grace. And it has always, ever, only been about Jesus Christ. Look at, first, look at verse 1 again. It says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel. That's the good news. That's the good news that God did what only God could do. The gospel I preached to you. That's just Paul's way of going, look, I fulfilled the great commission. Matthew 28, 8, 19, and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. He's saying, that's what, that's what I preached to you. That, that was what I lived for you. And then he says, you also received this. Guys, understand this. Our faith in Christ is not an intellectual exercise. It do, we don't understand Christ. We receive him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's it. I tried to understand him for many, many years. Well, for many years, I didn't want to understand him, and I rejected him as an atheist. And then even after the Holy Spirit started churning my heart, I was trying to understand and make sense of all of this. And although, although it makes a lot more sense to me now than it did 26, 27 years ago, I, I didn't... I had to come to realize that I'm never going to... If I fully understood it, I don't need it. I don't, if I under, fully understand God, I am God. And that's honestly what we want to be. And so he says, you received Christ. Guys, John 1, 11 and 12, right before he gets to the, and he made his dwelling among us, he says he came to his own, and his own, this is talking about Jesus being born, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to as many as received him, to as many as believe in his name, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. That's why you're sitting here today if you're in Christ. That's the only reason you're sitting here as a Christian today is because he gave you the right and the power to receive him. And then it says, in the gospel in which you stand. I love that picture of stand, and, and, and I will wrap up point one with this idea. Guys, the word stand there stands out in the Greek, like literally stands out. Here's why. Because one, it has this picture of planting firm and not moving. So Jesus is saying, or so, so Paul is saying, this gospel message that I preached to you that you received, stand strong. In, you're standing strong in it no matter what. You're, you're immovable. But here's the cool part. It is written in the perfect tense. Here's what that means. The perfect tense isn't used often in the New Testament because it was a, it was a big deal. It was, it was meant when the author wanted something to really stand out, he would write it in the perfect tense. And the perfect tense just means this. It was an action that was planned in the past, completed at a time, 
and can never be undone. So he said, and the only, because here's the only other time in this whole passage that Paul uses the perfect tense. It's when, he's just, it's when he uses the word raised for Jesus. He uses the word raised seven times, and all seven times he uses the perfect tense. Because here's the thing he wants us to know today. If you get nothing else out of this, if, here's the thing he wants you to know today. If you're in the gospel and you stand in the gospel, that was a past completed action planned by God, was performed in a, in a moment of time, and it cannot be undone just like Jesus being raised from the dead. It was a past completed action. It was, it was planned before he put the tree in the garden. God had planned to put his son on a cross. And we have to understand that. So why is the resurrection at the heartbeat of the gospel? One, it's because it is about Christ. The second is it's because it's about fulfilled promises. I already mentioned this, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, his second letter to the Corinthians, don't turn there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul specifically says at the beginning of the letter, all of the promises of God find their yes, find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. All... all, he's saying every promise you ever read in here, find their, the only way they find fulfillment is in Christ. And then he says, and that's why we say our amen. Do you remember what amen means? So be it. We believe. Right? Yes. That's why we say our amen to the glory of God through that promise in Christ. So look at what Paul says the first time he writes to the Corinthians. He says, but by the grace of God I am that I am. And his grace towards me is not in vain, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but, but the grace of God that is in me. Guys, understand something quickly before we go on with the rest of the, this part. Grace doesn't equate to good stuff. We got to get that. When Paul's saying, by the grace of God, I am what I am, he's not saying all the good, loving stuff that's happened to me. If you know Paul's life, from our perspective, it stunk. I get that it's hot in here. I get that in the back it's probably really hot in here. Guys, it is zero compared to, frankly, what most Christians in the world are dealing with today, but, but what Paul went through. But that's what he's talking about here. He's saying the grace of God, the hard stuff that God took me through and was with me in is what's made me who I am in Christ. God's grace is, does not equate to good stuff, but it is always good. It is always good. Then he says, whether then, whether then it is I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Now we pick it up in verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised, there's that perfect tense, happened, planned in the past, happened at a moment in time, can never be undone from the dead. How can some say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. He's saying, guys, if Jesus hadn't really risen from the dead, remember those 500 people that saw him, all that list of people in the first part of the chapter? He's like, if that didn't really happen, then this, none of this matters. None of it works. Because that means that the price on the cross was insufficient. If, if Christ had gone to the cross and died and stayed in the grave, we would be stuck in our sin. That's why the resurrection is the heartbeat of the gospel. And he goes on to, just point, to, to point that out. Verse 16, For if the dead had not been raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who had fallen asleep in Christ would perish, would have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, guys, get that. If, if our only hope in Christ was our best life now, we are of all people most to be pitied. But here's the thing. Maybe we don't really 
believe. Maybe we don't really believe that he, was, that he rose from the dead. Maybe, maybe there's a, maybe we're like, yeah, I, okay, I get, but like, I'm, I'm talking about like down deep, down deep in your soul. Like, do you really believe that beyond anything else, Christ has risen and ascended and he's coming again? Guys, it is, it is the central part of the, of the gospel message. Because if we don't believe that, we won't live like that. It's why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when Paul says, guys, I want, we grieve. Life is hard, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. Why? Because, and he goes through in that part of 1 Thessalonians 4, and he talks about, because the resurrection is coming. Christ is going to come in the clouds. The clouds, guess what the clouds are? The clouds aren't the wispy things in the air. The clouds are the people who have died. They're coming back with him. And when he comes, we're, if you're still here, we're going to go meet them and be together with them. How do I know that? Because in Hebrews chapter 12, what, is, what does the writer of Hebrews say? Hebrews 12.1, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses around us. He's talking about people. He's not talking about white fluffy things. Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses around us, let us lay aside this sin and let's run with endurance the race that's set before us. So when we are caught up with them in the clouds, we will be, guys, that is, that is Paul saying, you can absolutely bank on the truth that we will rise again because Christ has risen. That, that, that this life now is not what life is about. Guys, God, God is this like grand conductor who's playing this symphony. And although sometimes there are really light and fluffy fun pieces of our lives, and sometimes there are dark, deep, heavy, like boom, boom, boom pieces of our life, in the end, it makes a beautiful song. And that's the gospel story in your life and in my life. It does not mean put on Christ and your life's going to be better. It does mean put on Christ and the perspective on your life is going to be changed forever. And what we have to understand, guys, is how we live now affects, even as Christians, how we live now affects everything about our forever life. And that's something we have to come to grips with. Guys, are we living by his tune or by our own? So, why is the resurrection part, like the heartbeat of the gospel. One, it's because it's about Christ. Two, it's because it's about fulfilled promises. And the last point is, it's because it's about bringing dead things to life. It's about coming, it's about death to life. And that is the message of the gospel. Guys, before I read the part, I understand this. Everyone lives forever. Do you know that? Like sometimes in Christianity, we just preach, like if you want to live forever, accept Christ. Here's the problem with that. That's half the story. You will live forever. Every soul that has ever been knit together in a mother's womb lives forever. The only question is address. Where? That's it. Are you going to live, in, like, live a life with God or live a life separated from God? Forever. And we have to come to grips with that. Now look at, look at what Paul says in verse 20. He says, but in fact, Christ had, but in fact, but in fact, he's like, guys, it's a fact that Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Then it is coming those who belong to Christ. That's that 1 Thessalonians 4 idea. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father and destroys every rule and every authority. Guys, he is in control. There is nothing happening in our nation. There is nothing happening in the world. There is nothing happening in your life that is not beyond the sovereign control of our Father. And it is all filtered through him. And we have to believe that. Or it changes everything about how we live. We live no different than the world then. And then he says, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Guys, the message of the gospel is not good to great. It is not good to great. It is not God put Jesus on and your life will go from being good to being great. It is a message of death to life. It is Ephesians chapter 2, you were stone, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, you were stone cold dead in your trespasses. Guys, how does that work? And we're going to talk more about that as we start our new series in 1 Peter. Actually, next week picks up with the resurrection in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to talk more about this. But here's the thing. Everyone is soulishly active. We all have souls. What I was saying earlier, everyone, those souls will live forever. But we are spiritually dead apart from Christ. That's what Paul's telling us in Ephesians chapter 2. You were stone cold dead. The spiritual part of you was as dead as a doornail. You're like the chair you're sitting in. You, you had purpose, but you're not doing anything because you're inanimate, according to God. But, and then he goes on in, in Ephesians, and he says, and, and guys, here's the thing. All of us were there. Some of us in this room still are there. Some of you are there, and you don't think you're there, and that's the scariest place to be. I don't know which ones. It's not my job to sort them out. It's the Holy Spirit. But guys, ultimately, all of us were dead. And then two of the best words in the Bible, but God, but God, rich in mercy because of his great love for you, sent Christ to die for you when you were still dead in your sins. Guys, that is the good news of resurrection power. Guys, the question of life is do you believe this? Do you believe do you believe, it's, it's, why, it's why I just, as we were singing those, I'm like, we got to sing that again. Do you believe he is who he says he is? Do you believe he did what he said he was going to do? Do you believe he's still doing what he says he's going to, what he's doing? Guys, do you believe this? Guys, and here's the thing. Unless you believe in the resurrection, you don't. Unless you've done business at the cross of Jesus Christ, you don't believe this. If all, if what, because what, then what you really believe is that the, that the Bible is just sort of the best way to live. And that's why I'm going to, that's why I'm going to believe that. Or that's why I'm going to lead my family through that. The only way, the only way you know if you really believe it, honestly, is what has your attention? Whose kingdom are you living in? What part of your life, right now, you were made, back, back to my story about creation, you, everybody in here, everybody online, every, you were made by a creator on purpose for a purpose. Are you fulfilling it? And that purpose is not your best life now. That purpose is his glory. That purpose is to make him famous. So I'm going to ask you guys, everybody in here, 
to do something we don't normally do. And I'm not, I, I, I don't do the bow your heads, turn down the lights, pray a prayer. Here's why. One, I don't see it in Scripture anywhere. But here's the other reason I don't do that. It's because if, if you can't raise your hand because people are looking, I've never understood the bow your head and close your eyes, just, be, just between you, me, and the Lord. I, I, I was raised up spiritually in a church like that almost every Sunday. Man, I love dearly would do that. And I'd always think to myself, why? Like if somebody's not going to raise their hand because they're a little worried about what the person sitting next to them is going to say, they don't really believe. Because do you understand? Like th- that's, the, that's the reality. I, I get that it's a little scary. I do. That's awesome. It is. It ought to be. Don't you think it was for the first disciples? What do you think happened to some of those 3,000 that got baptized at Pentecost? They got deserted by their families. And they couldn't deny it because they were sopping wet. So do you believe? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you believe that the Lord is who he says he is, raise your hand. Everybody, raise your hand and keep them up. You're going to get tired. If do you believe that he has done what he said he's done? Yeah. Do you believe that he has called you to his glorious purpose? Look around. Look around the room. If you, you can put your hands down. If that was the first time you ever put your hand up for that. Guys, I want to invite you into the family of God. Hey, I'm going to come up here in a, in a minute as we, um, the, the music team's going to come up, and I'm going to just explain baptisms before we go out there to have baptisms because I want you as cool as possible for as long as possible. Um, but, um, but we're going to do some business at the cross. When we're, when we're done with this. All of us. And, and guys, this is not just for people that, if that's your first time. Maybe today, maybe you're like, no, I, I, I believe all that, but I realize now that my life has not been lived for that. Right? There's some business to be done at the cross. Does God's sacrifice of his son on the cross pay the penalty for all sin? Absolutely. Does God care about how we live? absolutely why because he wants to make himself known through a people just like he always has through a people that are living for him so let's pray father i just thank you lord for the reality that we are brought to life by the power of your holy spirit i thank you for the truth that is in your word that all of the promises all of the truth of your word find their glorious yes in Jesus Christ. I thank you that that you are in the business of bringing dead things to life. That on that silent Saturday, you were doing business with the devil. You were buying back what the enemy thought he had stolen. You were taking the keys of the kingdom, saying, no way, Satan. These people are mine. And someday soon, you are going to return, and you are going to crush the head of the serpent, and you are going to establish your kingdom once for all. And and not only is your resurrection going to be true, but our bodily resurrection is going to be true as well. And there will be no more pain, and no more suffering, and no more tears. And we will all forever be worshiping in what we're doing as we focus 
on the one who's given us the power to do it. So Lord, I pray in the name of Christ, the name that makes demons flee and the name that changes hearts, that, that brings dead people to life. Jesus Christ, I pray in your name that you would change the hearts of the people here. All of us, Lord, mine. That we'd stop playing around with you. That we would be serious. And Lord, I specifically pray for those in this room that maybe today is the day of their birth, their new birth, their born again believers in Jesus Christ's birth. May today be that day for your glory alone. In Jesus' name.